This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. So as Pastor Ray was praying about this, uh, she heard the phrase, overwhelmed by love. And she told me that, and I got so excited Because, you know what, I think that there's a lot of people who came into this room today that didn't come in here overwhelmed by love. And I truly believe that you're going to leave this place overwhelmed by love, and that's God's heart for you today. Um, So as I was asking God, okay, Lord, overwhelmed by love, what do you want to talk about? Who's the person in the scriptures that you want to highlight to me that you want to speak about? And uh, one person in particular kept on coming to mind. And uh, that person's name is John, and a lot of you guys may have heard of this guy. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and um, he was actually a part of a a core close group to Jesus. There was Peter, James, and John, um, and they got to encounter these beautiful experiences with Jesus in which they actually got to see his transfiguration, in which they got to see his glory revealed. Really beautiful. John is also known for uh, writing multiple books of the New Testament, Um, One of the significant ones being revelations, right? Getting to see visions straight from God. Um, One thing that I personally really love about John that I'm going to be speaking on today, um, something that John's so known for, and um, actually people associate it with his name. You probably heard this too. Um, He's known as John the Beloved. John the Beloved. And I love that word beloved. Be loved. See, John's existence, his very being, the core of his identity was attached to love. And there might be a lot of people sitting here today, and if I were to ask you, who are you? You might actually attach your identity to something that wasn't love. You might actually first say, oh, I'm a mother, or I'm a sister, or I'm a daughter. Or maybe you attach your identity first to your career. I am a nurse. I am an author. Or maybe it's your your education if you're a student. Oh, I'm a queen student. My hope for you today is that you'd leave here first and foremost knowing that you are the beloved. That just like John, you can attach your full identity to being full-heartedly loved by God. So what made John the beloved, though? I mean... What was so special about him that, that he would identify himself as the beloved and, and also refer to, to so many other people as the beloved? Like in his letters in the New Testament, he, he speaks to the church and calls them the beloved. Um, and I think that the answer to that question is actually found in John 13, verse 21 to 26. If you have your Bibles and you want to open that up, that was John 13, verse 21 to 26. And... Uh, John is actually uh, at the table with the other 11 disciples, him and the other 11, and they're sitting with Jesus, and it's the Last Supper. And um, in this moment of vulnerability and transparency, um, Jesus actually starts to explain that someone would betray him, one of their own brothers, right? They had spent all of their time together. They were family, and one of them was going to betray him. And it says, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. 
And the disciples' response was, they began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking of. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom. And I could have chosen another translation where it said Jesus' chest, but honestly, like, saying bosom is so much more fun. <laughs> right? It's a fun word. Um, so there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And that was John. So Simon Peter gestured to John, to him, and said to him, Hey, John, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. Who's the one that's going to betray Jesus? He, John, the beloved, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, his chest, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son Simon, Simon Iscariot, who would then betray Jesus, right? But um, the focus of this isn't so much the betrayer or Jesus. That's not what I want to highlight today. What I want to highlight are the different interactions between the disciples. See, Jesus had made a statement. He had said a truthful thing. And it was something that confused the hearts of the disciples. They were shocked. And so often that's like the circumstances that happen in our lives, right? God's doing something, but we don't understand what he's doing. But what was the response of the disciples, of the followers of Jesus? They actually first looked to one another. Hey, do you know what's going on? Do you know who the betrayer is? Do you have the answers that I'm looking for? Trying to like look at their faces like, what? And then there's Peter, who's a bit smarter. <laughs> One of his close friends. But even Peter, this guy who's, who knows Jesus so well, who's walked on water, who's done all of these miraculous things alongside Jesus, doesn't ask Jesus himself. Instead, he asks John. Why would he ask John? What was so special about John? And there was John, while everyone's freaking out, like, <clears throat> John's just resting on Jesus' chest, hearing the very heartbeat of Christ. Wow. What are you doing when confusion comes your way? Who are you looking to for the answers? Are you looking to just your community and your friends, which is beautiful, community is so important. But is that your first response? Or is your first response to go straight to Jesus? See, I think this passage highlights what it truly means to be the beloved. And I think that Peter doesn't even exemplify what it means to be the beloved in this, even though Peter was awesome and God would build his church on him. Um, see, Peter went to John with the assumption that he already knew Jesus' heart and what Jesus would respond. Because he asked him, John, tell me, who this is that Jesus is talking about. In this passage, we get a view into Peter's perception. See, Peter believes that there are those who God has chosen to reveal his secrets to and those who, not, who he hasn't. And he believed that, oh, John is one of those like really, really special guys and Jesus has revealed this all to him. But in fact, Peter's assumption was incorrect for John too was just like him and didn't know the answer. So the only difference in this passage between John and Peter was that 
Peter was actually too afraid to ask Jesus himself. And I believe that, that he, somewhere in him, some, there was something stopping him from directly asking Jesus. And uh, maybe this is just me making another assumption, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter believed that Jesus was withholding information from him, right? Was withholding something from him. Jesus, you'll share that with John, but you won't share that with me. Hmm. While John, on the other hand, was fearless, and this, this is what it means to be the beloved. John was fearless in his ability to go straight to Christ and ask. He believed that he was able to simply go and ask. And John didn't struggle with the concept of Christ Jesus, savior of the world, his rabbi and his teacher, wanting to spend time with him, wanting to talk to him, wanting to give the answers to him. What if we live life in that way, where we could actually just go straight to Jesus, believing that he actually just wanted to spend time with us and speak to us? I mean, there was John just resting on the chest of Jesus. Wow. Um, I think it's an interesting thing because that's such a that's such a weird picture because like Jesus is hanging around all the other disciples yet yet one just one of the disciples is is in a really intimate act right of friendship and brotherhood of resting his chest his face on his chest that's that's a little bit weird of a scene and um, seeing as we're all or a lot of us are Christians here and lovers of Jesus and a part of church communities. Um, I'm sure that when I mention the five love languages, a lot of you guys are like, okay, yeah, I get that. Um, and because that often comes up in conversation. And if you don't know what the five love languages are, I'm gonna explain that right now. The five love languages um, is uh, something that an author published, a Christian author. And it talks about the five different ways in which uh, we can communicate and express love to one another. And so those five things are words of affirmation, physical touch, um, there's gifts, there's acts of service, and there's quality time. So for me personally, physical touch is one of my top ones. If you're one of my close friends, you know that. Hey, Jess. Hey, I like to hug my friends a lot. <laughs> and then there's probably some of you guys in here that are like, I do not get that, okay? Like, stay away from me. I like my personal space. Thank you very much. Um, but personally, I'm like, oh, snuggles, love them. Like, always cuddling, great things. Um, high fives, like handshakes, awesome. Um, but the thing about me having one of my love languages as physical touch, I feel like sometimes it's like, like there's that weird barrier in a friendship where it's like like you have to cross the threshold of like closeness to the person because it's like, oh, like I don't know if we're close enough that I can like go up to them and just hug them. Like, is that gonna weird them out? Is that gonna make them feel uncomfortable? Or like even worse, like what if I walk away feeling rejected because they didn't actually want me to hug them? Ooh, that would be uncomfortable. And what I love about John in this was that his just complete confidence of, hey, right now I wanna rest my head on the chest of Jesus, the savior of the world, without fear, like without any fear of rejection, knowing that actually Christ actually wants me to do that. He wants me to spend time with him. Wow. I love this passage too because there was no fear in the asking. I don't know about you, but I grew up afraid to ask. Um, 
whether it just be like a cookie from the kitchen. Um, I was afraid to ask my parents. Um, I grew up afraid of being condemned or someone getting angry at me. I had a very fearful relationship when it came to authority figures in my life. Um, and along with that, I was also afraid to ask things of people too, um, or even to ask a stupid question, a question that I thought was unintelligent because, oh no, what if people think I'm, I'm stupid because I asked that question? And so much of my identity was wrapped up in the perception that other people held of me instead of the one that God held of me. And so here we have this, this concept that, yeah, the belovedness being the beloved means walking out in fearlessness. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11 to 13, it says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. And I love that passage. This is uh, Paul speaking to the Thessalonians, and he had sent Timothy to this like new church plant, essentially, um, to encourage them and exhort them. And uh, Paul's heart was just so for these people. He loved them. He had a pastor's heart. And um, he so longed to be with them. But um, I love reading this passage because I think that that's actually God's heart for you guys today, where he wants you to know that he's cleared a path for you guys to come to him. And that's through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. And uh, the next passage there says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And so we've been talking a lot about that, how this love isn't just for you, but it's for other people. But what I think is so significant about that verse is um, that that word love that's used, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. That word love isn't a human love. The Greek word for it is actually agape, which is God's unconditional love. That's the love that God wants to fill you up on today. And it says that it may increase and overflow, which means to be in a state of abundance. God's inviting you to be in a state of abundance in his love, be in his abundant love. Maybe you came here half empty. Um, maybe it feels like you're just strained. You've been pouring out into other people's lives. Maybe all the responsibilities um, have taken over and you feel more overwhelmed by situations than by God's love. Um, this is for you. And I, and I actually also wanted to speak to a specific thing as women. And I don't know if you're a single lady in this room right now and maybe um, you don't have a partner in your life, but I think so often the struggle that women can fall into is feeling half empty and believing that a man is going to fill that love. That's, that's going to fill your cup. I'm going to be honest with you and say that it's only Christ. It's only Christ that can bring you to that place of overflow, that can bring you to that place of increase in your life. And maybe you are married, and you're like, I've been married for years. But maybe you're in a dry spot in your marriage. And actually, your relationship with your husband isn't looking so hot right now and you're also running on empty. And you've actually been looking to your husband to fill some of those voids in your life. I'm telling you today that no matter what the state of your marriage is, you can still come to that place of increase and overflow when your reliance is no longer on people and it's purely on God. 
So how do we actually live in the state of abundant love, of love that overflows? Well, I decided to use Handy Dandy Bible Gateway and look up the word overwhelmed and see what comes up. I was like, surely there must be something talking about being overwhelmed by God's love in there, right? First one that came up, Exodus 17, verse 13. So Joshua overwhelmed uh, Amalek, I don't know how to say his name, and his people with the edge of the sword, okay? 2 Samuel 22, verse 5, for the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. Psalm 44, verse 15, all day long my dishonor is before me and my humiliation has overwhelmed me. Psalm 55, verse 5, fear and trembling come before me and horror has overwhelmed me. Psalm 142, verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way there I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Psalm 143, verse 4, therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart is appalled within me. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 7, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound so encouraging. But I think that's the reality of how we use the term overwhelmed even in our everyday lives. When stress hits us, when worry hits us, and someone asks you how you're feeling, what do you say? I'm feeling overwhelmed. But I feel like God's turning that around and showing us what it is to not be overwhelmed by our circumstances, but now overwhelmed by his love. So how, though? How does that happen? Well, if we actually look at the word overwhelmed, just type into Google, using the internet a lot these days. Overwhelmed means to defeat completely. But what is being defeated when we rely purely on God's love? What's being defeated is revealed in 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. See, being overwhelmed by love means that fear is defeated completely. Another definition says um, to be overwhelmed is to be buried or drowned beneath a heavy mass. See, when we're filled up on God's love, what happens is that fear has become buried or drowned beneath the heavy mass, the heavy weight of God's presence and love in our lives. This is what it means to yoke ourselves to Jesus and experience his heavy love and a light burden and to cast our worries upon him. Hmm. Another definition um, is to give too much of a thing. And I love that part, to give too much of a thing because that's exactly what we're talking about, about that overflow that God wants to bring into your life. And maybe you're, you came in here and you're just like, yo, me and Jesus, we're good. Life has been really sweet. I've, I've gotten to experience so much of the depth of his heart. Um, but there's still more. And so I encourage you to have eyes of faith to believe that there's an, a greater outpouring that he wants for your life. Because this outpouring of love is never about containment and just keeping it within us. Um, but it's about releasing what was given with the expectancy of more. And this is what it is to really trust God's abundant love instead of fearing lack.
Um, the last verse in uh, 1 Thessalonians 3 says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. May he strengthen your hearts. See, God doesn't just care about us experiencing temporary moments in which we encounter his spirit. Rather, he cares about us living in an eternal movement of his spirit, bringing a transformation that starts inwardly and continually moves outwards, touching the lives of people around us and building his kingdom. See, God cares about longevity. So he provides us with a plan of sustainability in verse 13 there. May he strengthen your hearts. So how does God actually strengthen our hearts to actually continually live in his overwhelming love? See, for John, it wasn't just a momentary experience of, oh, I know God loves me. Oh, I've heard the verse John 3.16, that's it. It was every single day. I imagine John waking up in the morning, like no matter what struggles and persecution hit him, with glorious joy of today, God, I get to serve you. Today, God, I get to experience more of your love. And I'm not just talking about a feeling, I'm talking about a belief, a core belief system that changed his perspective of every situation that came his way, that changed his perspective of how he actually saw other people. How do we live continuously in overwhelming love? Um, and I love that, that word strengthen because uh, the real word for it is uh, sterizo, um, which means to set fast to turn resolutely. And resolutely means to turn purposefully, determined, and unwaveringly in a certain direction. And so how we sustain this going forth from this conference is actually just fixing our eyes on Jesus in a way that is purposeful, that takes intentionality on our parts, being determined and unwavering to give our hearts solely to him, the perfecter of our faith. Um, I wanted to give an example here, and uh, God gave me this idea this morning, and you know, sometimes you're like, oh, was that too much pizza last night, or is this an actual good idea? Well, we're about to find out. Thank you for being my social experiment. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to need four volunteers for this. Uno, dos, yeah, I don't know what three is. Trez, I don't know. Sure, right here. Cool. So we're going to have a visual of what um, relationship with God looked like in the Garden of Eden. And that's when there was perfect, untainted unity with the Lord. And um, I felt to share this too. I feel like so often in Christian culture, it's easy to just think, oh, God is good, but, but actually, like, I'm not good. Like, I, I just suck and I'm cred. And it's true that, like, yeah, we are so undeserving of God's love because of the fall and all of that and the mistakes we make in our lives. But when God created man and woman, he looked at them and said, this isn't just good. He said everything else is good. But for them, he said, this is very good. Wow. Wow. And so I love that now we are clothed in Christ's righteousness and he calls us good and we've been restored. But anyways, I'm going on a tangent. Okay. So Carling, you're going to be Father God. So you're going to stand right here. Awesome. And um, you're going to be Jesus, and then you're going to come over here. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I like that one. That one's a nice one. And then you're going to be Holy Spirit. And you can kind of come here, like, 
like mm, more like here, like not in a straight line. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you guys can face each other. Hi, so Trinity has always existed, right? And this is all in perfect unity. And we know that Jesus was there in the beginning, just not made flesh. We learn about that in John 1, okay? And then, and then they create man. Wow, man and woman. Humanity is made. And this goes right in the center. Yeah, yeah, but what happens in the... Actually, can I borrow a coat? Can I borrow this coat, T? Thank you so much. But then what happens is that when sin enters the world, when the fall happens, when actually... Adam and Eve, for the first time, they believe that God's withholding something from them. So they need to go and make their own things happen by eating that fruit to gain knowledge of good and evil that they felt like God was withholding from them, which is a lie, right? Talking about that same thing. Um, sin happens. And so you can hold that. And God in his holiness and in his wonder and glory cannot be near sin and his heart breaks in that moment. And so humanity becomes disconnected from the Trinity, right? But then, redemption plan happens. And so Jesus, our volunteer here, takes on the weight of sin. But back up, imagine this. Jesus has gone his, like has always been in his existence, but has never experienced what it is to be disconnected from God. Never. Oh, I, I, like, can you even imagine what it's like to be in perfect unity with God? Perfect, untainted unity where you hear his voice clearly every second of every day. And he would give that all up so that we could know that. And so he takes on the weight of sin and becomes disconnected from our other people here. But for the very reason that he could get rid of sin. And so that you could come now, not in, hold hands. Hold hands. Yeah, awesome. So then now in relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you could be reconnected to the Father and see the Father face to face one day. But what happens actually in life, in so many Christians' lives, is that, yes, we accept Jesus, so we hold this hand, but actually we don't live submitted and yielded to the Holy Spirit. And so we take this one hand and we actually keep it in the world because we want control over our lives still, right? And so we start digging into the world and still living in patterns of sin when God's actually called us to the path of sanctification, right? And so because of that, there's actually this disconnection that still exists between us and the Father. And that's why we feel shame when we step into a church or when we're in small group when we know that, oh, we're actually just going to go back to our sin patterns on Monday, right? But, sorry, can you stay disconnected? <laughs> sorry. Don't worry, we'll get there, we'll get there. Um, I want you guys to stay like that for a second. Um, I want to read a parable for you. And this is the parable of the ten virgins. It says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps and did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Come meet Jesus. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. 
The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. See, in this example, the wise ones were those who carried both the lamp and the oil. I think it's interesting that they use this analogy because we know the verse that talks about how God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But what's so, more, so much more powerful about using the example of the lamp is that we know that Jesus is the word made flesh, right? Jesus is the light of the world. And so I think so symbolically in this, Jesus, Jesus is much like the lamp. But then we also have, so we have the lamp over here, but then we also have this need for the oil. And so what does the oil represent? Well, in the New Testament, we hear t- terms used like the anointing of the Holy Spirit, right? And so in the Old Testament, they would anoint with oil. They would anoint kings and prophets with oil. And in the New Testament, it's, it's Holy Spirit. And so there's a need for both the word and oil. And so that's, why is this significant though? Because in this passage, we actually hear about how it's only the ones who are able to light their lamp. That, and by lighting a lamp, that makes their faces visible, right? To the person at the door. They become illuminated in the likeness of Christ because they are yielded to the spirit and walking with Jesus Christ. And that's what enables the father to recognize them at the door and say, that's my child. I see them. I see them. I see the light illuminated on their faces. I see the likeness of Christ in them. I see royal identity written all over them. Those are my daughters that I see. But the reality is that as soon as we start, stop yielding to the Holy Spirit, what happens here? See, there's passages that talk about people who did quote-unquote everything right. They were casting out demons in Jesus' name. Um, Yeah, and doing and prophesying and doing all these miraculous works. But God still looked at them and said, I don't know you. See, without love, without that relationship that John had with Jesus, um, is there still a possibility that God might look at us and say, do I know you? See, God doesn't just... You guys can sit down. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You guys were up here for a while. That's a workout. <laughs> See, God doesn't just want us to settle for a complacent Christianity in which us getting filled up looks like just us going to a church service or us going to a small group. He's looking for his daughters to be intentionally pursuing just the knowledge of him. In John 17, it talks about how Jesus's heart cry was that just like him and the Father were one, we would also be one with the Trinity. Wow. An intimate relationship with the Trinity, just like how Jesus was. There's so much more. I don't know about you, but like, I don't know Jesus like how the disciples knew Jesus. Like, I don't, I don't always have the faith to just go out and pray miracles for people and believe for that. 
I don't always have the faith to, to run straight to Jesus, which is really sad. But man, my hunger is growing. My thirst is growing. My expectation is growing. And I believe that even today, I'm going to get to know his character and his nature just a little bit more, or maybe a lot more. There's an invitation today for you to encounter Jesus anew, to rest your head on his chest and hear his heart for you so that you walk out of this place believing that you are the beloved, fully known, fully loved, zero fear of rejection. God loves you. God just wants to spend time with you. He loves your company. See, I look at Peter's life and there was this essence of striving in his life and that's, that's my story, striving. Striving to please God. Oh, I just want to make you happy. I just want to earn your love. And while Peter was out doing all of these things, John just was. He knew that God was completely content with him just being with him. And him just being with Jesus was what fueled John's ministry later too and, and allowed him to do all of those miraculous things and building God's kingdom as well. But what I find so fascinating is that um, the last conversation that Peter has with Jesus, um, the big one in which Jesus reinstates Peter and tells him about his call to be this rock and to build his church, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Go feed my sheep. But even in the midst of that, of this wonderful moment with Jesus, where did Peter's perspective go? He actually started looking at John and being like, well, what about that disciple? Like, what's going to happen to him? There was still that element of comparison there. And I feel like for some of you guys, um, God wants to break out off comparison off of you today. I think that that's such a weapon that the enemy uses when it comes to female culture and, and beautiful women of God and causing division and friendships is comparison of, oh, she's prettier. Oh, look at her successes and, and jealousy and envy starts to sprout and it's toxic. When instead God just wants you to rest and realizing hey, as much as that person is the, the beloved and I have put favor on their life, I have put favor on your life and I'm waiting for you to realize that everything that they have access to, you have access to too. See, Peter at that supper table, the last supper, I'm sure that if he wanted to, he could have gone up to Jesus too and said, hey, Jesus, can I rest my head on your chest? What if being the beloved is just believing that we have full access to Jesus? full access that he withholds nothing from us. Um, I don't believe in just emotionalism. I don't. I believe that Jesus' Jesus's work in our lives is so much more than just a feeling. But I do believe that God cares about our hearts and sometimes in the work that he does in our hearts it actually releases emotions and feelings. And so if you're fearing that today and it's become a self-protection mechanism for you to suppress feelings, 
I want you to know that Jesus is safe. God is safe. His Holy Spirit is so safe. And he's inviting you into a place of vulnerability and transparency with him today. And it's in that place of choosing to let your Jericho walls that you've built up around your heart fall. That's when you can actually work anew and afresh. Brennan Manning writes in Abba's Child, The Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging. He writes this. To ignore, repress, or dismiss our feelings is to fail to listen to the stirrings of the spirit within our emotional life. See, Jesus listened. In John's gospel, we are told that Jesus was moved with the deepest emotions in verse, chapter 11, verse 33. The gospel portrait of the beloved child of Abigod is that of a man exquisitely attuned to his emotions and uninhibited in expressing them. The son of man did not scorn or reject feelings as fickle and unreliable. They were sensitive antennae to which he listened carefully and through which he perceived the will of his father for congruent speech and action. I love that. Congruent speech and action. If we go back to John 13, when the disciples are sitting around that table and, and John finally asked this question to Christ, Jesus' response was the person who drinks this whatever, the wine, right? But then followed by his verbal speech, there's actually action to it. And then he gives it to Judas. See, that's a pattern that you'll see throughout scriptures where God speaks and then there's action. His speech isn't just empty words, but there's actually weight and action that's carried through, that brings change, that something happens. And I feel like for so many of you guys, um, like there's been this hurt that you've been living with of people not being true to their word, or maybe people saying things and just like the actions aren't followed up and hypocrisy, we've all experienced it, right? Um, and religiosity in that. I feel like God wants to bring a specific healing towards that as well. I feel like God just even wants to reawaken our eyes um, to see that when he speaks, things happen. When God spoke the world into being, the world came into being. He said, let there be light, and then there was light. And so I want you to open up your ears to hear what he might be speaking to you and actually have the faith to believe that action is happening. When he speaks over your dark situation, let there be light, light invades. When he speaks into your storm, let there be peace. Peace comes. Open your hearts to the actual action that follows. Um, one other thing that I felt um, that God was saying was, today is about an invitation to live from belovedness and hollow belongedness. And... Um, the term hollow belongedness is like one of the, how it's kind of directly translated in some verses of that First Thessalonians 3 verse, um, when it talks about being like united with the saints afterwards. And um, so I'm going to read that again. An invitation to live from belovedness and hollow belongedness. And I feel like there's uh, some people who are in this room who have been living in 
isolation in some ways, where you don't feel like you've had meaningful connection, where you don't feel like the relationships that you currently have in place have allowed you to be vulnerable about the real things that are going on in your life and the real fears that you might be walking through. And I feel like God just wants to even, um, yeah, foster some new friendships in this room and a sense of belonging and you fully knowing that you belong here. Yeah, wherever you're coming from, I want you to know that you are family because we share the same father. Yeah, that, that this isn't just about friendship. This is about sisterhood. And so um, even if God highlights um, like someone at your table too um, who maybe you didn't know before, like, like be intentional with one another. You can hang out outside of the conference, exchange phone numbers. Uh, and one last thing, I, I felt like he was saying that he's renewing covenant today. And so covenant was when God would make a promise with his people. Um, and I feel like, yeah, there's some promises that you haven't seen come to pass. And on your part, there's just been so much doubt and lack of faith that God can still do that. And I feel like what God wants to do is a renewal of covenant with you, a refreshing and a reminding. But that starts with a renewing of vows, of like spoken verbal communication with him. Um, maybe when you first got saved, you heard God speak to you of like, I will walk with you for the rest of your days. I will fill in the blank, scripture, scripture, scripture. And you responded back to him. God, I will choose you no matter what. God, I will blank. God, I will blank. And we fail and we fail and we fail. And there's grace for that. There's grace upon grace for every failure of our vows to him. But I feel like tonight, God's saying, actually, I want to renew covenant with you. I want you to see, yeah, these same promises through a new lens of it's all still possible. And it starts with reigniting a passionate heart of love towards him and receiving all the love that he has for you. This is how we live out being overwhelmed by love. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.